Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I'm joined by Nagin Hussain, an experienced cross-cloud Salesforce architect based in Brisbane, Australia. We discuss what Nagin had initially wanted to do as a career, what first attracted her into the Salesforce ecosystem, and why the company that she worked for first was such a great environment and learning ground for numerous high-performing Salesforce professionals today. Nagin shares some insight into the Salesforce market in Australia when she first emigrated, and how some of her previous training had prepared her for the on-site model. Having started as a core Salesforce consultant, Nagin has upskilled and now works as a cross-cloud architect. So we explore how and why she learnt marketing cloud, as well as discuss the current barriers that may prevent others from doing the same. Nagin has worked in large and small consulting firms, as well as directly for the customer. So she shares some insight into the benefits of each environment. Finally, Nagin shares some exciting career news and talks about the studying she is doing and how it will help her in her Salesforce role. I hope you enjoy the episode. Nagin, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Ben. How are you? Thank you for having me here. Yeah, my pleasure. We've been in contact for a while now. It's been, it must be six or so years. So it's great to have you on the podcast and explore your Salesforce journey. Definitely. Definitely happy to share with the community and helping those who are excited to grow as solution architects. Nice. So um, let's start looking back before the world of Salesforce. Can you remember um, growing up what you hoped to do as a career, the kind of path you wanted to go down? I have always wanted to be a computer engineer. And I did my O-levels in, I think, back 1998. And at that time, Cambridge was running their first batch of computer studies. So that's when I decided I'm going to become a computer engineer, did that course and got an A. (laughs) Oh, nice. Were there any kind of inspirations or people that you had seen go down that path that were inspiring you? Or was it just by chance that you came across that course? Definitely by chance, because at that time, computers wasn't really a big thing. Most professions that people picked up were like doctors, civil engineering, and those, accountancy, financials. So computer engineering was definitely a new niche. Yeah, nice. And uh, and obviously, uh, you then found your way into the Salesforce world. So what did you do between studying and starting your career in Salesforce? Did you have a uh, another role? So I did my engineering and my first job was as a business analyst, IT business analyst, which I was doing for a complete Microsoft shop in an offshore model for the European market. I did that for a good four to five years and had a great time doing clients like Borders and Barnes and Nobles. So what then led you into the world of Salesforce? In 2011, I got an opportunity which was well-paying and Salesforce was a new technology and I was like, let's try, let's see what it is. Because at that time, we were transitioning from on-premise solutions to cloud solutions. So I took this opportunity up and definitely it was a very rewarding one. Yeah, I can imagine you have no regrets now. But what was it initially? Did you see that there was going to be a long-term career opportunity with Salesforce or was it just a new kind of exciting world that you wanted to explore? Definitely, I could feel that this is going to be the future. And uh, because this was my first job in the American market and we could see the spread 
And there were times at which we had like four to five projects to process and not enough bandwidth. So in an offshore model, the one thing that is very good is that you get to learn a lot because you have different clients that you're servicing at the same time. So it could be really enriching your knowledge there. So you were working, that this was um, Sakonent. Is that the first company you worked for from a Salesforce perspective? Yes. Uh, so Sakonent was the first company that hired me as a Salesforce consultant. So you went from being like an IT business analyst in the Microsoft world to working with Salesforce and, and your first role was consultant. So were you like a functional consultant? Were you doing implementations from kind of the early stages of your Salesforce career? Basically, I was acting as a functional consultant. That's absolutely right, Ben. And uh, using my business analyst skills and on the fly learning Salesforce as well. The good thing at that time, we didn't have any trailheads or anything. And we used to have books, which we used to buy and read off. And then we would sit at administrator exams and, uh, you know, pass those exams. And then we would actually enter the market confidently. <laughs> yeah, nice. And and second, and, you know, I, I've seen... Many people actually that work in the Australian market that have kind of cut their teeth in second and learned their Salesforce um, skills there. And actually a lot of them, you know, I would say most actually, I, I can't really think of anyone that I wouldn't put in this category has gone on to really be a big achiever in Salesforce. So whether they're, you know, a really good developer or they've gone down the CTA path and they're now a, a certified technical architect, I can think of at least two people that work there that are CTAs. Um, you know, other people are managing big teams and, and are platform managers. So what was so special about Sakonent in terms of giving people that foundation to go on and achieve great things in the Salesforce world? Sakonent was really invested in their employees. And not only in terms of just, you know, pumping out certifications, but we used to have classes where they will teach us different accents of English speaking for European market, for American market. And then they would have a practice sessions. They will fly in people who would actually give us lectures on how to engage with the client, how to talk and how to have meaningful conversations. Also, we ran competitions on uh, certifications. So that was really encouraging for people because these were reward-based competitions. And that's why Second End could make such a big name in the market and then most of us who came from second end, we are still in touch and, uh, you know, we still do discuss certifications and different things. When there's a new certification that comes from Salesforce University, we talk about that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's great to hear that everyone's still in touch. And I I know that there's a big community in Melbourne of second end people, but I know across Australia, there's there's a good hub. So it's great to hear that everyone's still collaborating and talking about Salesforce. So you obviously moved to Australia after second end. How did you find that experience of then going onshore and, and moving away from the offshore model and now working onshore directly in front of customers here? Like, Was that a challenging move for you or did you feel comfortable straight away? It was not challenging. It was definitely different because in offshore, you do have like a lot of bandwidth. So you go back and you can do a lot of working and then you can come back next day. There's a time zone difference that actually is in your interest there. But when you're onshore, you have to answer a lot of things on the fly. And so for that, you really have to be upbeat. And uh, the main difference that I could feel was that, you know, on onshore, we work nine to five. And then in offshore, I was working from 11 a.m. till 9 p.m. 
The good thing for Australian onshore, I would say, was that we had very friendly people. My first job was at Cloud Sherpas, and I'm almost 90% of my job was confirmed before I even landed in Australia. So very friendly team, very good people, and I had a great time. They were very supportive, helping me blend in and grow. You mentioned that Second Imp put you through some coaching around, you know, working with customers. How valuable was that for when you actually got here? Like if you hadn't had that experience, do you think it would have been more challenging to make that transition? That has definitely added value. It would have been a bit more difficult if that wouldn't have happened. We were given lectures on personalities, different types of personality, how to engage with different types of clients. Because the time we are talking about is 2013, 2014. At that time, we still had clients who didn't want to come off Excel sheets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going on the cloud was a big thing, still a big thing (laughs) at that time. And I think the sessions that we were given back then and second end, because that was the first place we were like cloud advocates, the way they polished us, that actually helped us calm the client in understanding uh, the benefits of the cloud and how it can actually enhance their job opportunities rather than sticking to the Excel sheets. I know you're a big advocate of Trailhead, but if you were to speak to someone that was offshore now that was looking to make that transition and move to a, you know an onshore role somewhere, how much emphasis would you put on the consulting skills as well and learning those kind of soft skills? Definitely a lot of focus. Even if you will uh, look on the trailheads, Ben, we do have presentation trail mixes. So people can learn a lot of things from those trail mixes, even virtually. And then there are other things, for example, writing blogs, creating vlogs, YouTube videos, be seen in the ecosystem, answer the questions on where people are asking Salesforce questions so that you are seen. World is flat at the end of the day. If we look around, everybody's doing Salesforce. You know, every country that we talk about is doing Salesforce. So the world is flat now. Yeah, nice. So um, you started your career as a, a core Salesforce consultant, like, you know, a lot of people, especially back then, you know, before uh, the marketing cloud acquisition. And then as your career has progressed and, and as the, the platform has grown through acquisition, you've become a cross-cloud architect. So at what point did you become interested in marketing cloud and how did you learn the platform? That's a very good question. I think this was around 2015, 2016. I was put on a project and I had no knowledge of what marketing cloud was at that time. But, you know, in consulting, we have that one-on-one consulting sessions where we are taught that you have to sail like a swan and you have to do the all the work of learning and portray yourself as a swan in front of the client. So that is where I got interested in this. I got an org from my employer at that time and to practice. And I practiced there. And then I went to the client and I presented like a pro. And then the client started sharing requirements. That's how I got interested in this. At that time, we were still using exact target as the terminology. Even the help website pages were not uh, branded as Salesforce help. So what do you, because I I think obviously some people will have some marketing cloud experience. They might, you know, have have done a little bit of support or they might have worked in an environment where there was marketing cloud as well as sales cloud and service cloud. But what what do you think, what is a cross-cloud consultant or at what point does someone become that? Is it when you, you know, you, you have implemented multiple products? 
Actually, architecture in itself, so I work as a cross-crowd uh, Salesforce platform architect. Architecture in itself of every cloud that Salesforce provides is a bit different, especially the application architecture of that. If we look at the marketing cloud, in that there is no concept of objects, but there are concepts of data extensions. This is a very technical detail, but in the Salesforce CRM, like Sales Cloud and Service Cloud, there's a concept of objects. Both are data holding objects. So if you have basic architectural knowledge of what are the artifacts that are used, like data structures and other things, then it is very easy to understand. But definitely, there are differences in the architecture of each of the separate cloud. And to be a cross-platform architect, it is very important to learn about all of those clouds. And definitely, Trailheads help with that. And then also, experience matters a lot. Because with experience, then you are able to identify your limitations at the end of the day, it's a governor's limits limitation model, right? We have we have certain limitations technically that we need to work around. So you make it sound. Um, I know it's not easy, but you make it sound straightforward to become a cross cloud architect, right? In terms, if you're an architect, then you can learn both. Why do you think though that we have people that still stick to one side or the other? So we have you know marketing cloud architects, and that's that's their focus. They don't do sales and service, and then you have obviously core cloud, like they'll work on platform across multiple clouds, but won't necessarily go into the marketing cloud world. So why do you think there is still a bit of a divide? It's also about a mindset. Some people like to do what they're doing and they want to go deeper. In the industry, we call it uh, vertically integrated. So doing one thing and just going deeper in then. And then some people like to have a horizontal integration where they tap into different clouds. And they might pick a few of those clouds to go deeper into as well. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you mentioned Trailhead as being a, a good um, source of upskilling and knowledge. But I guess, it, like you said, it comes down to experience as well, right? Because unless you've got yourself onto a marketing cloud project, you could never really truly know, you know, the depths of your knowledge and experience as to whether or not they translate into the project world. Yes, exactly. And it's not just like a paid project. There are a lot of companies, not-for-profit, that are working in the Salesforce space. And it, they're easy to find, like just Google for not-for-profit Salesforce organizations. You'll find plenty and you can just go and volunteer in one of those organizations just to learn. And those organizations are like hands-on experience schools. Mm -hmm. So what's harder to implement in your, in your experience, um, like core sales and service or marketing cloud? So I've implemented all <laughs> Salesforce, uh, Marketing Cloud, Salesforce, uh, Sales Cloud, Service Cloud. And in my recent implementations, I've also touched uh, the Education Cloud, Finance Cloud, Commerce Cloud. <laughs> it's always a blend. And the role of the architect is such that we usually touch more than one cloud and also more than one product. AWS is a very common one that uh, comes across for integrations. Mm -hmm. But would you say like one is more difficult than the other in your experience or is it kind of a level playing field and just depends on your knowledge and experience? You mean implementation of one or the clouds? Yeah. So so like is one more challenging like um, based on the platform itself or typically the use case of the platform is marketing cloud, say, more difficult to implement than sales cloud? Definitely not. Both are, I think, easy to implement. However, their marketing cloud is a niche skill which uh, a lot of consultants or architects from sales cloud side do not acquire because they just rely on someone else to look at it. 
also the score CRM architecture is huge in itself. So people who do that generally on the projects, they have too much already on their plate to take up another cloud. Yeah, that makes sense. So what, like having implemented marketing cloud, like at enterprise level, and I'm, I'm sure probably um, some of the projects you might have done might not be as big. What does make a project complex in the marketing cloud space in terms of, is it just the volume of um, the audience base? Is it the suite of marketing cloud products that are implemented? Like what do you find makes something more complex than another project? I think it is marketing cloud is very robust in terms of integration. It can integrate to any website like e-commerce website. And most of the time, the complexity comes from how we are putting those integrations of middleware layers in place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have to rely on the APIs for integration. Sometimes we have to rely on other methods, for example, app exchange products that we are using for integration. Yeah, that makes sense. You've obviously, um, over the years, you've worked for big consulting practices, you've worked for smaller partners, and you've also worked on the customer side. What would you say for anyone that's listening to this and they, they might be kind of considering a move and they might be working for one of those customer types? What have you found to be the benefits of working in each? That's a wonderful question, Ben. So I would say for the customer, we basically look for the requirements and we are looking for ensuring how the requirements get fulfilled. So we are technology agnostic. Basically, it's not about, then we are not just running a Salesforce shop, then we are just running as an architect and Salesforce could be a part of it. When we are working at a small partner, then we have the ability to wear multiple hats in the project. We can be testing, we can be doing business analysis, we can be doing implementation as well. That is the beauty of it. So people who are like passionate about building new solutions usually tend to stick to uh, startups because they get that, you know, that satisfaction of doing something big all by themselves. Mm -hmm. For the large partner, the thing is that you have got too many resources on a project, right? So you don't have to do a lot. I would say large partner is for people who just want to play a little bit of a role on the project, not by saying that it's a small role, but just like doing some work and just staying in their lane, mm -hmm. not going across different lanes. Have you found the complexity, because I guess like the bigger projects tend to go to the bigger partners, right? So if you're doing a huge implementation as a bank, you're probably going to, to go with one of the top tier partners. And then if you're a smaller, you know, a startup, you might go with one of the smaller partners. So when you say if you're working for a bigger partner, you have a smaller piece of the project, is that just because the projects are so big that you couldn't be everything to everyone on one of those large scale kind of enterprise projects? I would say, Ben, that's a perception Definitely, because it has been happening. But in my experience over uh, multiple big partners, I have seen that a lot of times the smaller partners are also given precedence over the big partners. And most of the time, the reason is that they're so industry specific that they can uh, exhibit that kind of knowledge uh, which the client is looking for. Oh, and other times their resourcing or pricing is so supportive to the client that they do not hesitate in testing them. Yeah, yeah, I guess um, some of the price points might be different. And um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting, definitely because you've, you've seen those different environments to get your view on that. And then what about the role? So you as a solution architect, if you're working for a customer compared to working for a partner, obviously you've got different, I don't want to say priorities, but you do, right? You, you have as the, the customer, you're looking after the employee that you work for. And as the consulting partner, you're looking after the customer, but also looking after 
the business that you work for. So how, how do you manage that balance? Like where do you see the roles changing or, you know, overlapping? Yeah, so that's a fair bit of balance and definitely that's a challenge, Ben, because we need to ensure that we are adding the right value to the customer. If the solution architect is purely working for the customer, it is easy because then even if they suggest a particular product, they are basically, the customer has that um, satisfaction that they are actually looking after just customers' interest. But if you are come from a consultancy, then you have to ensure that you meet the requirement on priority, like the vision is to meet the requirement. And if the product that we are offering can meet it, that's great. If we can provide a custom solution using the product that we are offering, that then it's wonderful. Basically, whenever we put an architecture's recommendation, we have to ensure that the product, be it the one that we are selling or a custom solution of that, caters for the requirement. Mm-hmm. And also is, you know, you have to take into consideration what's right for for your consulting firm as well, right? Based on the resources you have yes, and the, the skills you have in-house. Yeah. And this is also one of the reasons why a lot of times the small firms also win big projects uh, because the turnaround time is very small for a small firm. Mm-hmm. You know, they can quickly put out a team for the client while the large partners actually have to put together a project plan and then, you know, set together a team and then define the dates. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit more red tape. Yeah, <laughs> less administrative work, I would say. I think that's why startups have become so successful now. And talking of startups, you've got some exciting news yourself in terms of a recent move that you're making and a business that you're you're building. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure, Ben. So this is a dream that I've had for a very long time to have my own startup and work in that. I'm in the process of launching it with one of the co-founders and watch this space. We will be nurturing uh, different uh, Salesforce clouds for implementation and it will be a Salesforce shop plus some other technologies. Yeah, nice. And your, um, in terms of your your background and and you as an architect, are there um, certain industries or, or verticals that you'll be looking to go and uh, and explore and add value to? So manufacturing is a big one. We are looking at manufacturing, financial services, and education. Three are the main ones we are targeting. But any kind of other architecture work is also something we will not be ignoring. And to to top all of this off, I know you, you've got a lot on your plate in terms of. Um, you know, you're, you're launching a new business, you're very active in terms of trailhead and continuing to learn and develop yourself, but you're also studying, right? Can you tell me a bit about the uh, non-Salesforce work that you're doing and why, and also how that kind of adds value to your skill set? Sure, Ben. So basically, Ben, I'm a computer and information systems engineer, and I've specialized in artificial intelligence and robotics. So when we are taught the definition of artificial intelligence, At that time, we are taught that the benchmark we are trying to reach through predictive analysis is human mind. So I've always been interested in reading how the human mind works, how are the patterns formed. And uh, so I've started a graduate diploma in psychology at University of New South Wales. And um, we'll be finishing that around next year, June, July. Mm -hmm. And what's your vision for how that world will align to, to your Salesforce work? 
So definitely understanding of the customer gets enhanced, how we are targeting the customer. So when we do artificial intelligence configurations and when we are trying to offer them products using artificial intelligence, we do maps of customers' understanding that we have, right? We have to define rules that, okay, if customer clicked X, show them product Y, right? Mm -hmm. So what are the different perspectives behind it? What is the customer actually thinking? You know, and the deeper understanding of that and utilizing that into the software designs. Yeah, it must be fascinating. And and do you see Salesforce, I mean, obviously they've got their own um, AI products, but do you expect that to be a continued growth market for Salesforce? Definitely, definitely. It's a growth market for Salesforce because AI is the new thing. It's the it thing now. So definitely with deeper understanding and providing that robustness and getting more sales, more return of investments with better understanding of the customers, I think we will have a much better solution for our customers. Nice. And and if anyone wants to reach out and uh, just pick your brains or, or, you know, maybe explore your background and journey a bit further, where's the best place for them to contact you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where you're at. Yeah, please, please reach out. And if you have any questions, if you want to know anything or need an advice, a suggestion, or just want to have a chat, reach out on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nagin. Really good to chat. Anytime, Ben. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform, as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon. And thanks again.